Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. We're in Mark chapter number 2 today and it is Friends and Family Sunday here at Liberty Baptist Church. And you know, friends and family are funny things, aren't they? You know, I I was just kind of reflecting on this a little bit this week. You know, friends, what do we do when we're young? We want to have lots and lots of friends, you know, in junior high and high school. uh, We want to have as many friends as possible. And then when we get a little bit older, we realize all those friends that we worked so hard to get in junior high and high school, most of them, we never see them again. But we work so hard to be able to try to be friends with them and get to know them. And then before you know it, it's just like they are gone. And even when we get to be older, you know, I'm, I'm older now, you know, I'm almost 40 years old. And so I'm getting old. Yeah. I mean, Jim, come on, give me some respect here, but uh, 40 years old, you know, now almost, and, uh, been here almost 10 years. And so, but you know, it's funny, we had the few friends that we have, it seems like it's hard to be able to even spend time with them. It seems like, I feel like some of the friends that I have in ministry, some that are even here in Massachusetts, I have to go to conferences several states away just to be able to spend time with them or some friends that I have uh, even here in town. It's just, uh, it takes something like this occasion to be able to, and a lot of us would say, you know, I have a lot of friends. I just, or even I have a few good friends, but even the good friends I have, it's just like, I don't get to spend the time with them that I want to. And you know, friends, that's part of friends and family Sunday, but then there's family. Boy, that's a whole different breed of cat right there, isn't it? Family. Now, I will say this, for those of you who know me, I'm an only child, and so sibling rivalries and things like that, I, I know nothing of. But I do know this, what should be the simplest and most foundational of our relationships are probably the most complex and confusing when you talk about family, isn't it? Some of you are having heart palpitations, just thinking about Thanksgiving, who's going to be sitting across from you at the table here just this week, and you're thinking, oh, I would be thankful if they called out sick on Thursday. That might be what it is. But it's our family, right? And you can choose your friends. You can't really choose your family, the ones uh, who are blood relations, but God put those in our lives uh, uh, nonetheless. Friends and family, it's complicated. But you know, it's interesting that friends and family many times are the ones that bring a lot of the richness and fullness to our lives, aren't they? friends and family. One person said this, a real friend is one who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. Many of us would say we'd be blessed to have two or three real friends in our life. I'm not talking about the people that smile at you or tell you what you want to hear, but just two or three real friends that you could count on in your life. A lot of us would say we were blessed to be able to have that. Well, this morning's text, what I've chosen, I believe, by the leading of the Lord this morning uh, to preach to you about from Mark chapter 2 is a story of a man who needed some friends, a man who had some difficulties in his life, but he had not just one friend, but four real friends who did something for him that many people tried to do and to accomplish this week, which might not sound like it makes a lot of sense, but I hope if I've done my job right, in the next few minutes, it will make sense by the time that we're done. And the message that I have uh, today is entitled this, A Friend You Can Count On. There is a friend you can count on today. Whether you think you have one or not, I want to introduce you to a friend that you can count on. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Mark chapter number 2. 
You know, the most beautiful sound to any pastor is the sound of folding chairs opening up during church. I'll tell you, I love hearing that. And so I'm sorry if you're sitting in the folding chair, uh, we, but, uh, and if you would like, you're more, you, more comfortable, you can move up front, but we're sure glad that you are here again. I keep saying that, but we're glad you're here. Mark chapter two, verse number one says this, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And of course, he is talking of Jesus here. And straightway, many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Think of that, the word of God, Jesus Christ, preaching the word to people. And they come from him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Now, I kind of just read that like it's a normal thing. But if you think about that for a second, there's a lot packed into those two verses there. We'll, we'll cover it again in a moment. And when Jesus saw their faith, verse number five, he said unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately arose, and took up the bed, and went forth from them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. And I'm sure after the day they experienced, they would have to honestly say, We've never seen anything like this before. And that's because of an encounter that a man who had no hope, an encounter that he had with Jesus Christ. You may be seated as we get into the Word of God this morning. Where we pick up in our text here in Mark chapter number 2 is not what you typically think of Jesus' ministry. You know, many times when we think of Jesus' ministry, we often think of the end of His ministry, don't we? We think of the fact that uh, there were many who were trying to kill Him, that there were those who did not like Him, there were many that rejected Him, uh, there were many that just did not care to hear what He had to say. But it's interesting because where we are in Mark chapter 2, that's not exactly, that's not what's happening at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Jesus is very early on in his three-year ministries in a place called Capernaum in Galilee, and he is uh, actually quite popular during this time. The reason why is because of what happens in Mark chapter 1, and we're not going to go back and read it for the sake of time, but it just so happened that as Jesus is starting his earthly ministry uh, in Mark chapter 1, uh, that there is a demon-possessed man who comes into the middle of a service in a synagogue, and this uh, demon-possessed man tries to interrupt the service, and Jesus, in love and compassion, uh, addresses this demon-possessed man, and not only addresses him, but addresses his real need, which is to be able to uh, cast that demon out of the man. He does so. The people in the synagogue are amazed at what happens, and uh, that's just the start of the noise being made abroad of Jesus Christ and this miracle-making man who is going around and doing good. And then a few verses later, it says that Jesus goes to Peter's house. Now, uh, Peter, it says, had a mother-in-law who was sick. Now, by the way, ju just a, a mention here today, uh, there are some who would say that Peter was the first pope. Did you know that Peter had a wife? 
Uh, how do I know that? Because he had a mother-in-law. And as I always say, if you're going to have to have a mother-in-law, you might as well have a wife. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that, that's just kind of the way that it works, right? Uh, and so Peter had a, a, a mother-in-law, and she was very sick. And so Jesus goes in and heals the mother-in-law, and, and, and that's another miracle. And then there's more people who are excited about Jesus' ministry. And there are people who come with sicknesses and there are people who come with diseases and there are people who come who are demon-possessed. And the Bible says at the end of Mark chapter 1 that Jesus is healing them all. And so this is the point where it's not what we expect at the end of Jesus' life where he knows that when he goes to Jerusalem, there are going to be many who are not happy he's here. Everybody's happy to see Jesus. Everybody wants to hear Jesus. Everybody wants to talk to Jesus. Everybody wants to encounter him. Many of them because they want to see him do these great miracles that had not been done since the time of the prophets and really even greater than anything that had been done during the time of the prophets. And so that brings us to where we are here in, in Mark chapter 2. So with all that's going on, the, loud, the large crowds gather together like we see in this morning's text. And there's this sea of humanity that's gathered together in a small room. Not unlike what's kind of happening here right now to a point, especially uh, in the back rooms uh, right now. <laughs> More people are pulling up even right now. So, I mean, that's just the way that it is. I gotta, as they keep pulling up, i got to keep preaching, by the way. So you better hope at some point uh, it stops. Uh, I, it's, it's part of my contract. I'm sorry. But uh, so we, here, here they are. They're in this room. It is so tight in this room that once the room has been filled, no one else can get in. And there are many people from the town who want to get in to hear him, and they cannot. But what the uh, text focuses on is one man in particular. And there's a few things I see about this text that I want to bring out to you quickly this morning. And the first is this. Number one, I see a man in need. I see a man in need. Did you catch that in, in verse number three? It says, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, uh, which was born of four. There, there was one, uh, it says, who was sick of the palsy. This was an affliction. Now, I will say this, that word palsy is a very uh, a general term. It's not one that we would necessarily use today. But the term palsy is, is what we would call someone who is paralyzed today or someone that was uh, a paralytic. Now, we don't know the extent that his disease ravaged his body, but at the very least, we know this, he was bedridden. He wasn't able to get up out of the bed uh, that he was in. Now, we understand in the days and times that we live in, something like that is still a very tragic thing. But there are also some helps that are available today. There are programs that are available. And I'm not saying that that uh, it just makes everything okay. But we understand that there are some provisions in the society, in the culture that we live in, that if someone is a paraplegic or a quadru uh, quadriplegic, that there are some things that they would be able to do today that 2,000 years ago was not a possibility. So here we have a man in need. He's, he has a, he's a man of the palsy. He is a, he's a paralytic. He, he can't move. He is on his bed. Uh, he's a man, could we put it this way, who is broken physically. He has no hope uh, of any type of recovery where today there are therapies, where today there are programs, where today, what do we always say when someone has a problem? You can go to Boston. Now, that's not always the answer, as many of us can attest to, uh, but at least that's the first thing they tell you, isn't it? Uh, but, but he couldn't go to Boston. He had nothing. He had no hope. But beyond that, physically, could we also say this morning that when someone has no hope physically, it also carries over mentally, emotionally, spiritually? We're holistic beings. We're not just one part body and, and, and that the body doesn't affect anything else in our life. No, 
it all affects one another. And when you don't have a lot of hope that you're going to recover, maybe when you have a disease or a sickness, you don't know what it is or the doctors don't know what it is and they have no uh, diagnosis for you. Let's be honest, it will affect you in other ways. And so I would submit to you, this man wasn't just broken physically. He was also hurting emotionally. He was hurting spiritually. You know, today, there are a lot of people who are hurting physically. Isn't it amazing with all the therapies and all the doctors and all the medicines and all the king's horses and all the king's men, we can't put people back together again? Uh, no, there have been great advances, no doubt. I mean, you look a couple hundred years ago and, you know, uh, George Washington had a disease of the blood. They gave him leeches and he died. We're a little bit beyond that. But I put emphasis on a little bit because <laughs> there are times we wonder, don't we? Uh, with all the technology that we have and all the advances, uh, why are so many things undiagnosed and why are so many things uh, uh, troubling? And there are a lot of physical maladies, but I also know this, there's a lot of people who are hurting, not just physically, there's a lot of people today who are hurting emotionally. There's a lot of people today who are hurting mentally. With all of these advances, with all of these things, it's still around us. Discouragement, depression, mental illness are all skyrocketing, particularly since March 2020. Anyone remember those days? Yeah, I think we were all there in March 2020. Statistics show that these issues that were real issues before the pandemic have grown exponentially since. In fact, a study by Brown University and Boston University at the end of 2021, so this is about a year ago, showed that 32.8% of adults in the United States experienced elevated depressive symptoms in 2021. 38%. Now, that's compared to 27% in the early months of the pandemic, which is compared to 8.5% before the pandemic. So think about that. Almost fourfold the depressive, the, the uh, discouragement, uh, the, the, the stressors, how they have risen in our society just even in the last couple years. And man has all kinds of ways to try to help alleviate some of that stress, and a lot of them don't make a lot of sense. I was just reading in the, the New York Times a, a week or two ago before the election, was trying to give some ways to help de-stress yourself. And one of those was to get a big bucket of ice water and dunk your head in for 15 seconds. And your stress will go away. And I will say, you know, that waterboarding feeling is kind of how I feel when I read the New York Times. Actually, it's a, I kind of feel like I'm being waterboarded if I was to read the New York Times. Uh, but, but no, this is what man does. Hey, we got something for you. It'll help. But usually the results are short-lived, aren't they? But here's a man in need. And whether we think that we don't have a lot in common with him, well, pastor, here's a paralyzed man. What do I have in common with him? Could we just put it this way in a little bit more of a general way? Here's a man who is broken. Here's a man who is broken. You know, I, I look around at a lot of people. You're all dressed up nice. You look nice. But there's some people who are broken. You're hurting. You have difficulties. I don't know what they are. I'm not God. And you can be glad I'm not. And I'm glad I'm not. But I know enough about what I do to know there's some people who are broken, even though the facade looks good. Here's a man, you may not have a lot in common with him because he had the palsy, but you might because there's some hurt. There's some difficulty. So there was a man in need, number one. But I also see this, not just number one, that there was a man in need, but number two, there were some friends who took the lead. See, as a poet, you didn't even know it. How about that? So here we go. Uh, I, 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 there's some friends 
who took the lead. And this is a beautiful thing. So we introduce this account here with the man of the palsy uh, and Jesus teaching and preaching inside the house. Well, it happens to be that he had four friends. I mean, four real friends. I'm not talking about the kind of people who say, hey, if you have any trouble, give me a call. And then when you call them, they say, oh, I can't help. Yeah, you have to call another day. No, I mean, these are four friends who truly wanted to help. Look at what it says once again in verse number four. Uh, it says, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. So literally, these four friends took the four corners of his bed and say, well, if you can't go to Jesus yourself, we're going to take you there. You know why? Because he's been healing people. He's been helping people. Uh, he's teaching and preaching the word of God. Uh, we're going to get you over there so you can hear. But they were discouraged when they got there because when they got there, they realized there were so many people inside the building, they could not get him in the bed inside the building. Now, I'll tell you what most friends would do. Say, well, <laughs> better luck next time. Let's take you home. But that was not acceptable to these four men. And so they literally go onto the roof of the house and start to tear the roof apart. Now, we have trouble understanding this because of the type of homes that we have today. You know, we have the type of roofs that if you, <laughs> you were to walk with a bed on a roof like this, uh, all five of you would be going down off the side of the roof. Uh, it's a little bit different back in those days. It would have been that they would have had flat roofs, and a lot of times they would have... Uh, uh, areas that they could relax on the second floor so they would have an exterior stairwell uh, to the second floor a flat roof where they could again just uh, in the cool of the evening after being inside in the heat all the time go out and, and kind of relax a little bit and a lot of times there would just be timbers on the top and they would just be covered with uh, dirt or, or or whatever they would use to fashion to be able to make this this uh this roof so what do they do they brush aside all the stuff on top of the timbers and they start pulling the roof apart timber by timber. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to read the Bible and think about what's actually going on. Because that's just two verses just said so plainly that, like I said, you read it and you're not even really giving it much thought. Can you imagine Jesus? He's teaching. And it's so tight that, that, that people can barely move. They can barely move. It's definitely before COVID. Uh, that They were all around each other nobody's socially distanced whatsoever and they're all right next to each other and all of a sudden there's dirt falling from the roof and there's noise up on the roof and jesus is trying to teach and people are having trouble listening because it sounds like there's some kind of commotion all of a sudden daylight breaks open there's dirt falling down daylight breaks open timbers are being removed there's a hole opening Jesus stops. People are watching uh, what's going on. They have no idea what's going on. And before they know, now the sun is blocked out. It seems like whatever was opened is now closed again. But it only happens for a second because whatever is covering that hole is now descending into the home. And it's like the roof is literally coming down on top of them. And, and they're looking at this. That thing looks like a bed. And there's probably four ropes on the four corners. And as they look and as it gets farther down, there's a man inside the bed. What's going on here? And, of course, everyone would have been confused by this, but Jesus, who would not have been taken by surprise by these occurrences. But in the middle of this commotion, can we just stop and say, there's four friends who realize this. I got to get our friend to Jesus. 
These four friends said, I have got to get my friend to Jesus. I will do whatever I have to do. I will move whatever I have to move. I don't care what people think about me socially. I don't care if they're laughing at us or think that we're crazy. I don't care what it is. I have got to get my friend to Jesus because if we don't get him there, he's not getting there. And then when it was a little bit hard, they didn't give up. They kept going and going and going to the point of destroying personal property. Now, please don't do that on the way out today. I'm just asking you. We rent, all right? We don't own. And so I w- on behalf of our landlord, please don't destroy physical property on the way out. Uh, but I would say this. They did so so a man could have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Those are real friends. Those are real friends. Don't you love children with friends? Our, our youngest, Peyton, is six now. And her thing is she has to have BFFs. You know what that is, best friends forever. That, that's the, that's the, uh, the texting lingo, uh, you know, uh, BFF. And she, she doesn't quite understand the concept. She thinks she has to ask someone to be, well, I, I need to ask her if she can be my BFF in school. I need to ask her. And, she, and she's counting how many BFFs she has right now. And I said, you know, honey, it kind of really doesn't work. You don't have to ask. It just kind of happens, you know, that you have a friend. But she's so concerned with how many BFFs she has. But, you know, we're all kind of like that a little bit, aren't we? I remember when I was in junior high and I was going through that awkward phase that lasted about, well, 35 years and counting or so. Uh, But uh, uh, no, you know, going through that awkward phase in junior high, kind of like we all do. And I was just looking for one friend, one friend. And I found a guy who was just as awkward and gangly and unshaven as I was. His name was David. And we grew up together, ended up going to college together. He's a pastor in Oklahoma now who has preached here several times. You know the kind of friend he is? About eight years ago when my mom passed. It was eight years ago, just a few days ago when my mom passed. I didn't know who to call. You know, kind of when you get into that time of panic, you don't know who to call. Well, I talked to David, one of the first people I called. What's going on with the funeral? What's going on? We don't know. We're still making plans. And we were up here. We had to go back to Tampa. There was so much... The first plane he could get on, he came to Florida. You know what? I don't remember one thing David told me those two days he was there. You know what I remember? He was there. He was there. That's the kind of friend he is. When I had surgery last year, he says, oh, you need help at the church? I'll be there. Oh, well, church, we'll try to cover your expense. No, we're not doing any of that. Just, I'll be there. I'll help. That's the kind of friend this man had. And, it's, and these men they weren't just friends. They were friends, get this, of faith. Did you see what Jesus said here in verse number five? In all the commotion, look at what happens in verse five. When Jesus saw whose faith? Their faith. Jesus looked at the faith of the men. How did, how did I know? How did he know they were faithful? And how do, I, how do I surmise that they were faithful? Not just because they brought him in. Look, they brought him in knowing that once you get him in, they weren't getting him back out. There was only one way to get him out. That's by walking. Well, who was the one who could do that? It's only Jesus. And Jesus saw their faith. There was a friend in need, but there were some friends who took the lead. But not only that, number three, I see this this morning. I see this. Not only is there a man in need, not only some friends, they took the lead, but I also see a prisoner is freed to complete the rhyme and, and, and uh, make myself feel more clever than I am, a prisoner is freed. 
This morning, I want you to know that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're the man in this story in the bed. Say, but pastor, I'm physically well. Pastor, I feel good today. Pastor, what are you insinuating about me? Maybe, in fact, maybe that kind of makes you a little bit upset to hear something like that. Well, what is the pastor saying about me? Does he not think I'm a good person? Does he, does he think I'm some kind of rat? I mean, what is, he, what is he trying to suggest about me? Well, well, it's not really what I'm suggesting. It's what we see from our account. See, because Jesus answers in a way, let me say this, when Jesus would speak in the Gospels, he never said what people expected him to say. Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3. He says, I know, we know, you are a great teacher. He was just kind of laying down all the platitudes, trying to butter up Jesus a little bit. And Jesus didn't even listen to it. He says, you know, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus probably said, I didn't say that. But that's what was in his heart. And Jesus discerned the need of the heart. And so here's a man who is paralyzed. He's in a bed. He can't move. What's his greatest need? Jesus reveals the greatest need in the text. He says this. When Jesus saw their faith, again, verse number five, he said unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. What was his greatest need? It wasn't actually that he was to walk. His greatest need was the salvation of his soul. The greatest need that he had was the forgiveness of sins. Jesus knew that this man was a prisoner, but not only of his bed, but he was a prisoner of his sins as well. Well, What are sins? I mean, we could debate about that all day, couldn't we? Well, could I just maybe cut through the red tape and get to the heart of the matter of what sin is? Sin is literally anything that we say, that we think, or we do that displeases God. It's anything that goes against the law that has been laid out before us. Uh, His holiness is spelled out for us uh, in this book that we have in our hands right here. Uh, His holiness. And you know what I found is when I talk to people uh, about sinfulness and when I talk to people about the fact that we're all sinners, most people don't argue with me. Because we all know deep down, no matter how good we try, there's a side of us we don't want other people to know about. We know there's something deep down inside of us that is not what we want it to be. It says this in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Job, that great book of struggle that Job has, not just struggling with his so-called friends. You want to talk about some bad friends, read the book of Job. Uh, They were not the friends that we see here in Mark chapter 2. But but, but Job in this struggle, not just with his friends, but his struggle with God. He said in Job 14.4, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Well, no one. We were all born in uncleanness. And later on, he said in chapter 15, verse 16, how much more abominable and filthy is man, which drinketh iniquity like water. Wow. Imagine that. He said this. He says, we're so sinful that we just drink iniquity, another term for sin. We drink it like water. Now, I'm not very good at drinking water. But I know this. If I don't drink it, well, I die. You do too. We have to have a lot of it to sustain us. And Job says, listen, I was born in these iniquities and I continue in them. In fact, I am almost relishing in them. And Jesus looked at this paralytic man. He said this, you have a need, but it's far greater than even your friends may have realized. Your greatest need is you're not a prisoner of your bed. You're actually a prisoner of your own sinful nature. You see, the paralytic man had four friends he could count on. 
But he also had one friend he never knew that he needed. Jesus Christ. He had four friends he could count on, but he also had one friend that he didn't know he needed until the moment that he looked into his eyes as he was laying on his bed there, paralyzed, discouraged, despondent, maybe even embarrassed by, by his friends letting him down in the middle of this assembly of maybe dozens, if not hundreds of people that are there, and he gets let down. He's the, he, he's the star attraction. Everyone's talking about him. Maybe people are laughing and mocking at him. Who knows? And he's there, and maybe he even thought it was a good idea until he starts getting lowered down and thought, what are we doing here? As he looks up into the kind, compassionate eyes of Jesus, he realized not only did he have four friends, he had a fifth friend. And that fifth friend was the greatest friend that he would ever have. And that was Jesus Christ. Proverbs 18, 24 puts it this way. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. There's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You know who that friend is? It's Jesus Christ. He's the one that will heal you, not just of, uh, of those physical maladies. And again, uh, I'm not saying that Jesus heals in the same way today that he does. I, I know that he's a healing God. I've looked at what he's done in my wife's life, and I've seen what he does in other people's life. I know that it doesn't manifest itself in the same way today. I'm not going to take my suit coat off and whirl it around and throw it at people and heal them. I'm not going to do that like some charlatans will do today. No, but is Jesus still in the healing business today? He is, but even more so than the healing of the physical nature. Jesus understood that there was something greater than the healing of the physical and that was the healing of the spiritual that's why he went beyond that room that's why he went beyond to jerusalem that's why he went beyond to mount calvary that's why he outstretched his arms there uh, on that day uh, when he sacrificed his life for mine as they just sang a few moments ago that's why he died and he was buried uh, that's why he was empowered to rise again on the third day as the triumphant son of god and that's why he is ascended into the throne of heaven and sits at the right hand of god God today. Why? Because he is that friend that sticketh close to the brother. And that's why we worship him. And that's why we give him our praise. And that's why we give him all things of our life. Because those of us who have given our life to him realize he's everything. I'm thankful for David. I'm thankful for my BFFs. I recalled when my friends BFF, they'd probably punch me or something. I'm thankful for my friends. I'd call David right after this church service. If I need something, he'd help me and vice versa. But there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And that's Jesus Christ. Can I, can I just share a little bit of my testimony with you? I, I, don't, I don't know why I asked that because you can't stop me. But uh, I, it's, just, it's just being polite. And then revealing to you that I know that's actually not very polite. But anyway, I'm, I digress. You say, Pastor, you were born to be a pastor. no. I, I wasn't. I grew up in a family that didn't go to a Baptist church. I grew up going to a Lutheran church. I, I would, we would go to church once a week, but there was nothing in me that inherently loved the Lord or that was spiritual. No one would look at me and say, hey, you know what? You ought to be, you ought to be a pastor someday. <laughs> Some people said, you ought to see a pastor. It's probably more what they would say. Uh, that's what they would say. I had no desire to be a pastor. I, I wanted to be a sports reporter. I wanted to, to go and, and go to games and be treated well and be paid for it that was my life i had a foul mouth i was looking for trouble I, i'm not bragging about myself quite the opposite i'm just saying that i think some people will look at at a person like me and say yeah you know that's just that's just the life you don't understand well i understand enough to know i was going the wrong direction 
Oh, and I had a lot of friends that liked to use me for what they needed and vice versa. But then when the chips were down, guess what? They're all gone. Anybody ever experienced that before? Oh, yeah. Kind of like the prodigal son. Everybody loved him while he had money. And when the money was gone, the friends were gone. And that's the way I lived. Until it was December 2nd, 1998. Actually, before that. You know what? I had some friends. A Daniel Muriel. An Ashley Evenhouse. A David Corley. And on and on I can go. Who said, you know what? You ought to come to church. But they were talking about a Baptist church. I didn't want to go to a Baptist church. But you know what they were doing on Wednesday night? They were playing basketball. See, basketball was my donut. Basketball was my jump zone. And so I come on Wednesday night. What they didn't tell me, those rats, was that someone was going to give a sermon afterwards. I just came for the basketball. But you know what? I listened. I didn't agree with most of it. But I listened. It was interesting. The man who preached was funny, and I enjoyed listening to him. But I didn't want to do with what he had but i had some friends who were carrying my bed say pastor you weren't par- no i wasn't no i'm talking about spiritually you know what they were doing they were carrying me to a man named steve baker who was preaching the bible and you know what steve baker did he carried me to jesus because steve baker couldn't save me Ashley Evenhouse and David Corley and, and Daniel Muriel uh, and, and, the, and the others could not save me. But one carried to another who carried me to Jesus. You know, it might be that you're here today because someone is carrying you to Jesus. And they want you to meet him today. They want, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Well, I, I'm not pressuring you into anything. I'm not telling you what you have to do today, but I'm telling you this. You need to prayerfully consider the fact that each and every one of us are sinners. And that our, sinner, or that our sinful nature requires a penalty. The Bible says there's a penalty of death and hell. But yet Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we don't have to have that penalty. He took the penalty on himself. That's why he was on the cross. He wasn't tricked on the cross. He wasn't convinced there by the Romans or connived by the Jews. No, Jesus willingly placed himself on the cross for you and for, for, for me to, to pay our sin debt. So that later on. There would be people who would carry me to another, who would carry me to another to bring me to Jesus. You know what we're trying to do today? We want to carry some people to Jesus. Or maybe some people that already have a relationship with him but have forgotten him. And we say, we want to reacquaint you with Jesus. I don't know what your heart is today, but I know that's the case. You ever see one of those old-fashioned fire brigades? You ever see that? You know, now today they got those modern fire trucks, you know, that are about two, three million dollars a piece, and you can get water anywhere, just about with those things but back in the day if if you had a problem in town they'd ring the bell people grab their buckets one to another to another to another down the line until someone would throw it on actually pretty effective if it's done well you know what we're doing here one to another to another to another and we just want to bring you to jesus pastor what's your angle Oh, obviously, it's to become a millionaire. I'm just not doing it very well, apparently. It's not my angle. It's not a fundraiser for the church. It's not any of those things. It's we're passionate about those who are here, those who are members. 
We know Jesus Christ changed our life. That we were that man, but we had some friends who brought us to Jesus. That we were the prisoners. No, not, not, not in prison. Not even physically. But something far deeper spiritually. By the way, in case you didn't remember, Jesus said this. He said to those who are murmuring, because anytime God does something good, people complain. Because immediately he says, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees are like, oh, who does he think he is? That's blasphemous. He says, if you're not sure who I am, let me show you. He says, now you rise up and walk. And what did he do? His secondary need, which was also a real need, which was also a real need. He picked up his bed. He picked up his bed. The one who was lowered down and walked. That's what Jesus did. Can I promise anyone here who has a physical ailment that Jesus will heal your physical ailment today? I wish I could. I can't. But I know this. There is a spiritual ailment that Jesus has given the prescription that every single person can be healed from. And he's given that and made it available today. And we're passionate about it because we know who have received it, we know it changed our lives. So, Pastor, do you ever regret? Do you ever regret? No. Are there hard days? I'll share this with you and I'll be done. Yeah, better be done. This summer, we had a, a, a guest come to our church. Every guest is welcome at Liberty Baptist Church. But I'll say the story now. We, we, we saved the story for a little while. At a church service came Manny Ramirez. Some of you may know him. He, you, know, you may have heard of him. Uh, played, played for the Red Sox you know, for about you know, eight or nine years and hit a lot of home runs and, and all that stuff. You know, MVP, World Series MVP, all that stuff. Um, came to church. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a, that's, yeah, you missed it, Jim. You never, you miss a service you miss around here. I'll tell you, you never know. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had someone call, I had someone call the church and said, the next time Manny Ramirez comes to church, will you call me so I can come? I said, well, you'll, you'll have to take your chances with me first. All right. Um, but but here, here's why I say it's not because he's more important than anyone, because every soul who comes here is important. The ground's level at the foot of the cross. And he came here like a normal person because he is a normal person. I said, what is it like being Manny Ramirez at Dunkin' Donuts? He goes, well, I just, I just you, know, uh, you know, take pictures with people once in a while. I said, oh, yeah, just like when I go to Dunkin' Donuts. It's amazing. <laughs> we are the same guy. It's amazing. But I will say this. Several times we studied the Bible. He, got, he has a testimony of coming to know Jesus Christ as a Savior after his playing days because things got so difficult for him with some of the choices that he made that it, in a last-ditch effort to save his marriage, and other things, he went to church. Anybody ever understand that? I went to church because I was desperate. He came to find Christ. So we're talking about two or three times a week. He'd come to my office for about 30 minutes and we would read the Bible together for about a month. And after a while, it became normal. I mean, one day he walked in. And I was like, hey, Manny, I'll be with you in a second. And I was still typing. And like, yeah, you know, don't. I'll be with, I, got, I got things to do, Manny, all right? <laughs> um, but, but all joking aside, there was one day it overwhelmed me because he, he wanted to hear me. And not me, he wanted to hear the word. I understand, please understand what I'm trying to say. But, but he wanted to hear me give him the word of God. And here I was, as a 16-year-old, all I could think of was giving my life to listen to a guy like him so that I could write down what he said. And 20-some years later, 
here is the one that I wanted to listen to sitting down and writing down what I said. You tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor? Do I regret what God's done? No. Now, today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, I say this and I'm done. Because those children's workers are done with me if I don't stop. (laughs) If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior today, you are that man. I say it humbly, but I say it upon upon the assurance of the Word of God. But there is a prescription. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ, if you'll accept him in salvation. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org. Or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in his word.